This is LAC Online Church in Perry, Ohio. We exist to love God and love people. For more information about our church or ministry activities, please visit LakeErieChurch.com. Now here's today's message. Open your Bibles this morning, please, to the book of Acts, chapter 27. I'm, uh, I'm so excited to preach this message to you this morning because this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Uh, I think one of the reasons that it's a favorite story is because it's so life-related. In fact, I'm confident that every person that's hearing me right now, both those of you that are in the sanctuary and those of you that are watching me online and maybe those of you that will be watching me later on demand, I'm confident that every person who hears me will find themselves in this story somewhere. At some point, you'll say, oh, that's me right there. That, that's me in the story. Because I think we all have these kind of moments in life when we ask the question, am I going to be able to get through this? Am I going to be able to survive today? Will I be able to navigate this divorce, the death of my family, the, the struggle of my finances, my, my Am I going to be able to survive raising these kids? Am I going to be able to make it in my career? Will I have a job tomorrow? We've all asked that question. And if there's any story in the Bible that speaks to that question, it is the story in Acts chapter 27. Before we read it, and we're going to read a lot of the story this morning, before we read it, I just want to give you the backdrop, the context. The Apostle Paul has been traveling throughout Asia Minor and establishing churches everywhere, winning people, especially Gentiles, uh, to the church. And the church has gone through this incredible revival in which literally hundreds, thousands of people are being saved and, and being a part of the church. But not everybody was excited about that. And there were those of the Jewish faith who were uncomfortable with this New Testament church that was allowing people who were not Jews to be part of their fellowship. And as a result, they sought for the occasion to find a way to stop this. And it happened uh, through the martyrdom of some. But in this case, it happened because they tried to trap the Apostle Paul into desecrating a Jewish temple. And... Because he didn't, but because they needed to move forward with their plot, they just went ahead and lied about it. Paul was arrested. And uh, through a series of appeals and tribunals, it was determined that Paul should go to Rome, which was the geopolitical capital of the world at that time. Now, to the outsider, it may have looked like that Paul felt like he would have a better audience if he was outside of the Jewish context but in reality Paul had a desire that he stated in Romans chapter 1 he wanted to go to Rome he wanted to bring the gospel because Paul had such a strategic mind he saw every place that he went as an opportunity to tell people about Jesus that's what you and I should do we should make every opportunity, look for every chance to tell somebody about Jesus. And that's what Paul was doing. He wanted to go to Rome. He wasn't concerned about himself. In fact, in Acts 22, he told 
the elders at Miletus. He said, I don't care about my life. I don't care what happens to me. As long as I can do what God put me on this earth to do, which is to tell people about Jesus. That's all I care about. So by the time you get to Acts 26 and 27, Paul has been arrested. And now that he's been arrested, he is on his way to Rome. And they put him on this boat that we're going we're to look at this morning. He's traveling. As far as I can tell, there are 276 men who were on this boat. And again, if I've read correctly, only two people on this boat are believers. You're talking about a harvest field. There are two, over 270 unbelievers on this boat with the Apostle Paul and Luke. And I want to pick the story up in, Luke, in Acts chapter 27, verse 9. If you'll just stand with me, please, for the reading of the word. Now remember, Luke is writing this. He's the scribe. He's writing this story. And he begins in verse 9 by saying, We had lost a lot of time. Now I'll explain what he means by that because basically they've gotten into a port and Paul has told them we don't need to leave this port. But they just kept debating and debating until finally they decided to go. Verse 9, We had lost a lot of time. The weather was becoming dangerous. For sea travel because it was so late in the fall. And Paul spoke to the ship's officers about it. Men, he said, I believe that there is trouble ahead if we go on. Shipwreck, loss of cargo and danger in our lives as well, to our lives as well. But the officer in charge of the prisoners listened more to the ship's captain and the owner of the ship than to Paul. And since Fairhaven, that's the town that they're in, since Fairhaven was an exposed harbor, a poor place to spend the winter. Most of the crew wanted to go on to Phoenix, further up the coast to Crete, and spend the winter there. Phoenix was a good harbor with only a southwest and northwest exposure. Verse 13, when a light wind began blowing from the south, the sailors thought they could make it. So they pulled up anchor and sailed close to the shore of Crete, but the weather changed abruptly. And a wind of typhoon strength called Nor'easter burst across the island and blew us out to sea. The sailors could not turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and let it run before the gale. We sailed along the sheltered side of a small island named Cauda, where with great difficulty we hoisted aboard the lifeboat towing behind us. Then the sailors bound ropes around the hull of the ship to strengthen it. I just want you to get the sense of the struggle that they are in to survive. They're doing everything that they know to survive. They were afraid of being driven across the sandbars of Sirtis, across off the African coast. So they lowered the sea anchor to slow the ship and were driven before the wind. Verse 18, the next day, that was all one day. The next day, as gale force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began throwing cargo overboard. The following day, they took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. They're trying to lighten the ship up. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars until at last, notice it, all hope was gone. It got so bad that they just gave up. No one had eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, Men, you should have listened to me. 
Don't you love it when people say, I told you? You should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. You would have avoided all of this damage and loss. But take courage. None of you will lose your lives even though the ship will go down. For last night an angel of the God to whom I belong. Now remember, he's talking to unbelievers. To the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood by me. And he said, don't be afraid, Paul. For you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage. Second time he said that. For I believe God. It will be just as he said. Out loud, would you say those last words that are on the screen? So take courage. For I believe God. It will be just as he Say the last line again. It will be. Put your hands in a receiving position right now. Let me pray over you. Father, I pray for every person that's listening to me right now. I feel the holy presence of God. I know this is a divine moment. I pray that you will speak your word powerfully and strongly into the life of every person that hears this gospel today. I pray for people who are watching at home right now that the Spirit of the Lord will invade that space right now and your word will be strong in their heart and their life. And I trust you for this. And I believe you for this. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Everybody says, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever been in a place where you just did not know what you were going to do. It felt like your life was completely out of control. And the circumstances were swirling in a way that all you could really do was react. If you've ever felt that way, then you're going to love this story. Because that's what this story is about. The challenges of living your life in a way that is out of control. At a place where you feel you are completely at a loss about what to do next. And if you ever feel that way, if you have ever felt that way, I encourage you to mark this passage in the Bible. So that you can refer back to it from time to time when you feel like you're out of control. When you feel like your marriage is out of control. When you feel like your career is out of control. When you feel like your life, your health, whatever it is, is out of control. I want you to go back and read the story because there's so much teaching here and so much instruction that you can learn how to navigate the last day of your chaotic life. You see, last week, Pastor Jason said that you and I define difficulty by anything that stretches us outside of our predetermined theory of life. Meaning that whatever we think our life is supposed to be, whatever our marriage was supposed to be, whatever our family was supposed to be, if it gets out of the banks of that predetermined theory of life, we call that a trial. We call that a difficulty. We say that's a test. And so sometimes we struggle. And the critical question in a moment like this is how do we survive that test of our life? 
How do we survive that critical moment where we don't know what we're supposed to do? How do we not lose our mind when we cannot find peace in the situation? When there is a perceived loss of control and there is no understandable or recognizable peace in that way. I've been working on this message for a little while and I was sitting at my desk not too long ago and I thought, I know five people right now at LEC. I know five people that I know very well that when they hear this, they're going to say, he's talking about me. Because the circumstances that have forced themselves on you, the things that have happened, maybe not through any fault of your own, but other circumstances, has pushed your faith to a place where you have to decide, how can I survive this? I hate chaos. Don't you? Because chaos creates confusion. And confusion creates frustration. And frustration leads to disappointment. And disappointment becomes despair. And at some point you reach this part of the story where all hope that you can be saved evaporates away. And you know what the devil does in a moment like that? And I, I say that out of my own experience. You know what the devil tells you right there? You need to run away. You need to get away from it. Leave your husband, leave your wife, leave your family, leave that job. Or, or maybe he tells you you need an escape. You need a drink. You need a shot. You, you need to take something. Or, or maybe you need to dial up that old website of pornography you used to watch so that you can escape from the chaos that you're in. But can I just tell you this morning? With all sincerity, it's not an escape that you need. It is the grace of God at work in your life to help you navigate the place that you are. Because the devil's always going to try to tempt you to run. He's always going to tell you to run away. But running away is not the answer. No, it's standing still and saying, I believe God. I believe that it will be what God has said it was going to be. I believe the promises of God are in fact true. Because when life is at its worst, it's about trusting and believing God. And if, if you hear anything, listen, it's the darkest days, the darkest moments, the most horrific experiences of your life that have taught you the most about who God is. The things that you value about God, the things that you genuinely believe about God, you didn't learn them when you were doing well. You learned them when you were losing your mind. You learned them when you didn't know how to pray. You learned them when you didn't know what to do. When all you could say is, God, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm just going to trust you. You know what you discovered? God is more faithful than you think. Come on now. God is more faithful than you think, and God can be trusted. And you can do that. So in this story, I want to lift three very quick things, and then we're going to pray. And I'm just telling you right up front, if you're here this morning, if you're watching me this morning, if you're here, I'm coming this morning with a message of hope and telling you that if you just reach out and grab a hold of it like a lifeline, if you grab hold of the buoy that's floating by your sinking place, that God wants to help you this morning. God wants to lift you up and give you something that you can believe in so that you can survive one more day. Here they are. Here's the three, three principles out of this story that I want you to see. The first is, get ready for your time of trouble. Paul said to these people, listen, I've got a bad feeling that if we leave this port, we're going to have trouble. 
Now, I don't know that God showed him that. I just think he had a sense that there are going to be places in your life where you are going to have trouble. Now, listen. I need, to, I need to help somebody understand this. Just because you are a Christian does not mean that you are exempt from trouble. You're going to have trouble. You're going to have hardships. You're going to have hard days. You're going to have difficult days. People in your family are going to die. You are going to have financial reversal. You're going to have sickness. You're going to know disease. You're going to have challenges raising your kids. Just because you are a believer doesn't mean you don't have trouble. But it does mean that you have a God who is connected to you. Whose strength is perfect. And His grace is enough to help you get through it. And that's the difference. That's the difference. So many times I have sat with families and and worked with situations and wondered, how do people do this who don't know the Lord? How do you navigate a moment like this if you don't know the Lord? I was with the Fraser family just a few hours ago as Brother Sherman went to be with the Lord. And and, and it was gut-wrenching on so so many levels. But how do you do that if you don't know Jesus? But there is a hope in our hearts It beats in our heart that God is bigger than the circumstances that we face. That God is bigger than the trials that you're going through. He's bigger than the nervousness and the anxieties and the pressures that you feel in your life. He is a God who is able to take care of you. Somebody say amen. You see, you have to get ready for the fact that you're going to have trouble. Trouble knows where you live. You may think you're in the witness protection program, but you're not. Trouble knows your address. And it's going to show up at your house, and you're going to have to deal with it. And and everything, listen, everything bad that happens to you is not necessarily the devil's fault. Some of the stuff that you're going through, you did to yourself. You ever heard somebody say, y'all pray for me, the devil's binding up my finances. Well, maybe he is, but maybe you're making bad decisions with your money. Your finances are in trouble because you don't know how to stop spending. See, the devil don't have to do anything if you don't have good common sense. It's kind of like a friend of mine told me one time about a lady in his church who called him on Sunday morning. She said, Pastor, I'm not going to be able to teach my class this morning. I hate to tell you this, but the devil gave me a cold. He said, well, that's interesting. He said, but I got to doing a little investigation and found out that her garden had come in. She had gone out in the garden and picked her beans, sat on the front porch after she washed her hair and shelled her peas. The wind was blowing. She got a chill and she gave herself a cold. She didn't get a cold because the devil, she got a cold because she was dumb. Sometimes things in life happen and you have to understand that because we live in a human experience, because we live in this world, we are going to have difficulty. We're going to deal with stuff. Your kids are going to drive you crazy. Your work is going to be hard. Your family is going to sometimes have chaotic moments. Your health is not always going to be good. 
Sometimes there's genetic predispositions in your body that bring disease and suffering and sickness. And you have to learn how to deal with it. And it's not about panicking because God knows that. He already knew that when He created you and formed you. And He's promising you some things that you can lay hold to and you can believe God for when you are struggling the worst. Here's one of them. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. This is a verse you should probably, you should probably circle in your Bible. The temptations of your life are no different from what others experience. God is faithful who will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure it. It means that God is so carefully watching you, so intricately involved in who you are, that He measures out the things that come against you so that He can ensure that you don't have more than you can handle. Now some of you came to church this morning, you were convinced you told your husband it was more than you can handle, but God has already determined that it's not more than you can handle. It's not going to blow you over. It's not going to overcome you. Because God is faithful to that. His promise is that you will not go through stuff. That His grace will not be sufficient to get you through. And not only will God protect you in that regard. But God will always make a way. That's what they sang about this morning. Don't know how you did it but you made a way. Don't know how I got through it, but you made a way. Don't know how I managed my struggle, but you made a way. Because that's the kind of God that you serve this morning. It's the kind of God that we worship every week. It's the kind of God who is your constant friend and companion who will never let the load be too much. I said to a woman in our church some time ago, probably more than a year ago, I said, the Lord must have a lot of confidence in you. He said, what do you, what do you mean? I said, because He will not let you have more than you can bear. So He must think that you're strong enough to deal with this. Otherwise, you wouldn't have it to deal with. Because God has measured out and He is faithful to that principle. He's watching over you and you can be sure that God is faithful. So anticipate and get ready that you're going to have trouble. But it will not overcome you. It will not destroy you. It will not take you out. Because God is faithful. And His grace is sufficient. If you believe it, say amen. Here's the second principle. Get open. Make yourself open to the plans of God. Make yourself open to the plans of God. Verse 24. Paul said, last night an angel of the God to whom I belong... And whom I served stood beside me and said, Don't be afraid, Paul, for you shall surely stand trial before Caesar. Now I walk into this point very carefully because I know there probably are people in the room who will not agree with what I'm about to say. And I don't say it because I consider myself to be theologically smarter than anybody. But I believe it because I know that God is faithful to this fact. That God's will and God's purposes in your life are bigger than anything that you're ever going to face. That's what Paul is being told. I know you're in this boat, and I know you feel like you're not going to make it, and I know that all hope is gone. But I'm telling you, Paul, there is a purpose of God that outlives this moment, it outlasts this experience, and you are going to stand 
before Caesar, which means you're going to survive this storm. Because God had a plan that was bigger. Because I don't know that we fully appreciate how the purposes of God work in our life. We're not bouncing around like a pinball in a machine just hitting off of things and reacting. No. The Bible said that the steps of men, good men, good women are what? Ordered. They're arranged. You may not realize it, but because you put your trust in the Lord, God's going ahead of you. And he's arranging and ordering your life and putting it in alignment with his purpose. When you surrender yourself and say, God, I want your will to be done in my life. You don't even always know what that means when you pray it. But God works in your behalf to bring about his purpose. It was God's purpose for Paul to go to Rome and no storm... No matter how it originated, no storm can prevent what God has ordained in your life. Oh, I'm going to say that one more time because somebody needs to hear that. No storm can prevent what God has ordained in your life. You say, I, I don't know how it's going to play out. I don't either, but I'll tell you what, God's will is going to be done. I said God's will is going to be done. You hear what I'm saying? That you may be going through something this morning. You may be in the middle of something. And you don't know how it's going to play out. But I'm telling you. You put your full trust and confidence in the Lord. And God's will is going to be done. I don't care what the devil said. I don't care what your brother-in-law told you. I don't care what the people in your neighborhood told you. The will of God is bigger than your storm. You see God's plan. Is to finish the work that he started in you. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work. Until it is finally finished on the day Christ Jesus returns. Meaning that God's will is at work. To be accomplished in you. And no matter what the devil does. God's will. If you surrender yourself to God. You commit yourself to God. God's will is going to be done. Now there's something in the book of Philippians chapter 3 verse 12. I want to put it up on the screen. Come here brother Perez. I want you to help me. I'll, go ahead Shane. Put the next slide up. There we go. Next slide. There we go. You know what? There may not be a slide up there for that. Here's what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 verse 12. He told him, he said, I don't know that I've got there yet. I don't know if I've attained it. I don't know if I've met the purpose yet. But here's what I am doing. I am chasing after that which once was chasing after me. So watch what I'm telling you. I want you just to follow me wherever I go. Don't leave me. Stay right in behind me, okay? So what Paul is saying is this, wherever I went, God's will was chasing me. God's will was after me. Couldn't go anywhere. That's why the Bible says in Psalms 23, goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. I don't even realize how God is working in my behalf. I don't even realize what God is doing. But I'm going about my life, paying my bills, raising my kids, doing my life. And God's will's chasing me. God's will's after me. There is God's purpose at work in my life. And Paul said, but something changed. I've given my life to the Lord. Now what I'm doing, don't go anywhere. 
The will of God just walked off and left me. Did you see that? Here's what he said. He said, now I'm chasing that which once was chasing me. I'm after God's will for my life. I'm after what God wants to do in my life. I'm after what God is trying to accomplish in me. His will is after me. And I'm going to see God's will done in my life. Because God's will is bigger. So people very often will say to me, how, will I, how do I know the will of God? How do I know what God's will is? And I don't know that this is the only answer to the question. It probably isn't. But here's what I always say. And I said it just this past week. That God's will is personal. You can always be assured that what God wants for your life is personal. It's not God's will for your neighbor. It's God's will for you. God has a personal relationship with you. He has a personal plan for your life. He has a personal will for you. But not only is it personal, but it's private. I'm telling you, you may not agree with this and that's okay. But I'm telling you, God is not telling anybody in this world about His plans for your life until He tells you first. I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes. I don't care how far they came to tell you what God told them about you. But if God's telling them something, He's already told you what they're telling you. And if that's not lining up, then I don't necessarily believe God told them that. You may have to help me here. Because I know people say, well, he, you know, that, that prophet or that evangelist or that woman spoke over my life. But it never lined up with what God told you. See, God's not that way. He's not talking to other people about you. He's talking to you. And when he talks to you, then he may send somebody by to say, I don't know if this means a whole lot, but I was praying for you. And the Lord told me something. And when they, you hear it, you'll say, that's what God's been telling me. That's a confirmation from the Lord that God is working my life. God's will is personal, it's private, and it's provable. God's will for your life makes sense. God's not weird, and He's not disconnected from who you are. Have you ever, you ever known somebody to say, I think the Lord's calling me to sing, but they can't sing. See, I'm telling you, God's never called a person to sing that can't sing. He calls you because he knows you have a talent and an ability. I told a, a young person to, this past week, I said, if you can tell me what you're passionate about and you can tell me what you can do, I'll tell you where God's will is hanging out. It's hanging out at the intersection of your passion and your ability because God is using who you are to advance the kingdom of God. It's provable. It makes sense. It's like when somebody says, I feel like the Lord's leading me, and you go, I get that. I get that. You know, we have, we have a young lady in our church who's a talented artist. And I said to her the other day, I said, you feel like you're going to be an artist? She said, I don't know. I said, I said do you love to, to, to paint and write and, and draw? She said, oh, absolutely. I said, would you like to do that for a living? She said, oh, absolutely. I said, well, what I'm saying, baby, is that God knows that you love that. And he can use your talents, your gifts for his glory. Because God's will is provable. The Bible said you can prove the perfect and acceptable will of God in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. So get ready for trouble and get aligned to the plan of God. Get ready to do whatever God wants you to do because God's will is going to be done. You can fight against it. You can say you'll never do it. I'm never going to go there, but if you're going to surrender your life to God, you will. You're going to do God's will. 
Because it's the only way that you'll be able to maintain your relationship to God. Your disobedience to God's plans will prevent your relationship from being what God wants it to be. Here's the last and third and final. Is that not only, not only do we align with the plans of God, but we defend ourselves with a determined faith. Paul says, take courage. I believe God... That it will be just as he said it was going to be. What did God say? God said, Paul, you are not going to die on this ship. And not only are you not going to die on this ship, but God in his mercy is going to permit every other person on this boat to survive with you. You talk about picking the right boat. Those other unbelievers got on the right boat that day. Because there is a man on that boat in whom God's will is going to be done. And I'm saying to somebody who's listening to me right now. At some point in your life, in your storm, in your difficulty. You have to decide. Just what Joey Rivers said. You have to decide if you can trust God. You have to decide if your faith is enough that you can literally trust God with your life. And if you do, then you can look your enemy right in the eye and say, I believe God that what God has said is going to come pass. I believe God. That's what he says. He said, listen, I want you to, I don't want you to be afraid. I want you to trust God that what God has said going to come to pass it's not uncommon for God to do this to me when I'm preparing to preach to you but I was driving down the road the other day down Chapel Road through Madison and I was thinking about this message and what, what I was going to be saying and I said to the Lord I said Lord you know my problem sometimes if I'm honest with my people if I'm transparent about this message you know what my problem with you sometimes is I lead with my emotions and not my faith. I lead out with my emotions. God, I'm scared. God, I don't know. Fear and anxiety become the dominant thing in my life instead of faith. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be afraid. I'm not saying that there aren't moments when you're anxious. I'm not saying that you won't deal with those emotions, but I lead with them. I let them lead me and then I have to come back and build over them and conquer them with faith. What God wants for me, what He wants for you, is to lead with faith. Despite the emotion. Despite what it feels like. Despite the fear. Despite the anxiety. He wants you to lead with a faith that says, God, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why the boss did that. I don't know why my kids did that. I don't know why my husband's acting like he. I don't know. But I believe you. And I will not be led by my emotion. I will be led by my faith. I will defend myself in this stormy day with my faith. I will declare that I will stand on God's word. I will trust in God's word. Because I know God is good. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, God's good. Now tell the next neighbor, God is good. You see, I, I may not know, I may not know where I'm at, but I tell you what I do know. I know God is good. 
I may not know why there's a spot on my x-ray, but God is good. I may not know why I didn't have enough money to pay my bills, but God is good. I may not know why that person said that to me. I may not know why that happened, but I know God is good. And if I can start there with the fact that God is good. Here's another thing. I know that God's plans for my life are pure. Because see, not everybody around me is pure. Not everybody around me wants the best for me. My dad said to me the other day, he said, listen, one of things you've got to get through your head, son, if you're going to pastor that church, is not everybody's going to like you. There are people that won't like you. Can you get good with that? I said, well, I, I guess. He said, well, you better get good with it. But here's what I know about God. I know that God's plans are pure. What did he say to the prophet Jeremiah? He said, the plans that I have for you are good plans. Plans for hope and a future. I, I, I know the plans that I have over your life. I'm not, I'm not afraid to tell you that I'm going to take care of you. And God's plans are pure. Here's the third thing. I can lead with faith when I know that I can trust God. Now, next week, the Lord willing... I'm going to have somebody talk to you because I don't, I don't think that we, how many of you are old enough to remember when we used to have testimony services? Anybody else? You're all a lot older than I thought you were. <laughs> I grew up in a significantly Pentecostal environment. My grandfather was old-fashioned Pentecost, and after the choir would go down, back in those days we had a walk-up choir, choir would go down, my grandfather would say, anybody got something you want to testify about? I mean, people would just pop up, you know, like popcorn. Now it's a barbershop-style, who'll be next, who's next? You didn't have to ask in those days. People popped up because they were ready to tell, and they would start testifying. And from my remembrance, and maybe it was just because it's been so long ago, some of those people that testified in those days, they were so anointed, they could almost preach in their testimony. People would get convicted and come to the altar and pray as a result of those testimony services. And it was a while before I began to realize this. I was reading my Bible one day, and if you notice in the Old Testament, whenever they would pray public prayers, their public prayers went something like this. To the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who brought our fathers forth from a land of affliction unto a land that flows with milk and honey. And it occurred to me that what they are doing is they are remembering the greatness of God. It's been hundreds of years and they're still saying, I know who you are. You're the God that took care of my granddaddy. You're the God that took care of my mama. You're the God that brought my family out of affliction and gave me this life that we have. I'm standing on the blessings of God. And I'm just saying that there are people in this church who have experienced God's grace and God's goodness in such a way, but we don't have opportunity often for them to testify about it. And because of that, our children don't know what God has done. They don't know the power of God that we've experienced. They don't remember the miracles because there's not been an opportunity for them. I was thinking about those testimony services and I was remembering that, you know, some lady over here is up here testifying. She said, I just want to thank the Lord because, you know, I was praying for my husband to get a job. And, and before we came to church tonight, he got a phone call. He'll be going to work in the morning. Oh, the church would just be shouting and 
praising the Lord. And it occurred to me that what God was doing, because on the other side over here is a woman and the Lord saying, did you hear what she said? I took care of her. I don't love her any more than I love you. I'll take care of you. And this woman's faith is being increased because she's hearing about how good God is and how God can be trusted. And the fact that this church is populated with people who have walked with God through the darkest nights and the difficult situations and they've come out on the other side with a praise in their heart because God can be trusted and the Lord is our strength and He is our strength. Oh, come and somebody praise the Lord in this house today. He is faithful. We're coming through. We have a testimony that God is good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening. Lake Erie Church is a multicultural Pentecostal church located in Perry, Ohio, about 30 minutes east of Cleveland. We would love to have you for a visit sometime. For more information or to connect with our team, please visit lakeeriechurch.com.